Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. Now that the U.S. presidential election is behind us, we can look back and reflect and review some of the great work that happened in the data visualization and data journalism fields. And we could also sort of take a look back at the landscape of what may have gone right and may have gone wrong when it comes to polling and reporting. And to cover those and hopefully many other issues, I'm very pleased to be joined by Wilson Andrews, graphics editor at The New York Times. Wilson, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Um, Thanks for joining me. So are things calming down now a little bit there? Um, I'd say we went from like 110% to 109%. um, (laughs) As is the case across the US and the world, I think we're all trying to figure out um, what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. And um, our readers are very interested in that information. And so we are working very hard to deliver that in as clear a way as possible. Um, Still so many unknowns, but it's definitely not really slowed down since the election. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's a lot of transitions happening now as we uh, move towards the end of the year. Before we get into some questions I want to ask about the data visualizations and the use of data in the election, could you maybe talk a little bit about your role at the New York Times and, and what sort of things you do on a, on a day-to-day basis? Sure. So we have a team of you know, very diverse skill sets, uh, designers, developers, cartographers, ph- photographers, reporters, visual, motion graphics, uh, all sorts of different uh, skill sets. Um, I kind of come down on the sort of like designer developer um, editing role. And in the election, my job was really to think about uh, what visual approaches we could take to um, help tell the stories of the election. And then ultimately, uh, sort of guiding our election results, uh, the live results, um, helping uh, the upshot folks with the forecast pages that they created and sort of like uh, the overall uh, package of, of what we offered to uh, readers on election night. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what I've been uh, involved with for the past year, year and a half. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it's been going on for a long time. Yeah. Um, let's start with maybe um, talking a little bit about some of your favorite representations of, of data that have come out over the last, I don't know, 18 months, I guess is kind of a long time, but um, you know, there's been some, some incredible work done by, of course, uh, your team over there at the Times and the Upshot, but also some interesting work done by 538 and the Guardian did some interesting things. Were there were there things that stood out to you as being particularly innovative or particularly interesting that you thought showed the the election data in a, in a unique and different way? Yeah, I think the first example that struck me was when the Guardian published their uh, primary their live primary results, mm-hmm. and they actually had little cartoon characters of the candidates coming out and painting their their counties. Right. Uh, we've always struggled with. Uh, the right way to show things changing live. I, I don't, we still haven't um, really solved it. Uh, and it's kind of something that gets put on the back burner until we finish all of the other important stuff. Like is the map displaying the current correct information in a timely fashion? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they sort of uh, both, it was both fun and it, it sort of helped you see that the page was live and things were changing. And this is what just changed. And that, that sort of like whimsical approach to it was actually really refreshing and uh, was something that we watched with uh, a lot. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. No, I was going to say, you guys, you guys had your live um, gauge uh, with the probability of each candidate winning, which had some jittering going on, um, sort of moving the dial around. Yes. Do you, you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I know, I know some people were, <laughs> I don't know, upset about it, but uh, some people were, you know, sort of wondering what exactly it was showing. 
Yeah, sure. Um, so obviously the, the jitter, at least to us, has become sort of a buzzword, I guess, uh, and yeah. almost – uh, the word in itself is a kind of a joke around the department, but, um, <laughs> just the, the amount of tweets uh, about things like that, mm-hmm. uh, certainly rises up. So the, the jitter was uh, part of a gauge that attempted to show, uh, the live probability of either candidate winning. Um, also there were two gauges, one that showed estimated electoral votes and the estimated popular vote margin. And the, the sort of inspiration behind the jitter or, or one of the, the reasons to do it um, was to show probability, which and the sort of margin of error in probability. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was never ever really one given number that you can show. Um, if you if you do that, then you're sort of displaying a sense of false accuracy. Um, and Gregor Eich, who uh, developed those pieces, wrote uh, an interesting blog post that sort of spells all of this out much better than most of the Twitter conversations did. Uh, the The other was simply to transmit to people that this was a live page, that the data was constantly changing. And we took some inspiration from dashboards like Chartbeat that show these types of things live uh, to, to help people understand that they don't actually need to refresh. They don't need to go to another page. This is actually everything you need to know. Or we, we think sort of the top level information that you might be interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, on election night is the underlying challenge with representing probabilities uncertainty is it a do you, do you believe it to be a, a visualization challenge or is it a more of a numeracy uh or statistical literacy problem um i, I think it's a little bit of both mm-hmm. uh i should say that we we could have done probably a little bit better job explaining what we were showing uh with the with the jitter with the with the gauges mm-hmm. uh, i think we we put the actual descriptions of what was happening behind the actual, just like getting the work done and getting it ready for election night. And, you know, we wrote, we wrote on those pages and around them on the non sort of forecast centric pages uh, to try to help people understand, but we probably could have been a little bit more verbose uh, about what was actually happening and what people were seeing uh, because it was very stark, obviously Um, it, it really sort of struck a nerve both, you know, positively and negatively for a lot of, people. And so if we had been a little bit clearer about what was happening there, I think it would have been a a better service to readers. And and do you think having that more explanation, that more annotation uh, uh, sort of on the, on the other hand would have detracted from sort of the clean design and where this is the central thing or, or sort of in retrospect, you still think that adding even some light touch of annotation, which I always ascribe to the times and the upshot as being really good at, um, that even that light annotation would have still maintained that central piece of having that 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 gauge right there. Yeah, I think we were pretty spare as it mm-hmm. as it was anyway. So I don't think it would have hurt uh, anything. I'm not endorsing the fact that like we needed a whole article on the page explaining it, but mm-hmm. I, I think a, a, a sentence. And if you want to further explain what's going on, a link off to a like a methodology page or something like that right. um, is is like pretty much all that is required in yeah. that kind of situation. Right. Um, okay. So I kind of interrupted you. you. You talked about favorite. We were talking about favorite things. You mentioned the guardian cartoon for the candidates. Um, were there other ones that, that struck you that, that you really liked? Yeah, we were all taken by the snake diagram at five thirty eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, not just at the times would agree with me that that was a really fun approach. There's been a lot of different attempts to like quantify electoral votes and how they matter uh, over the years and like 
a very typical approach is like a, a cartogram of electoral votes by state. And so I think I feel like this really emphasized that first past the post uh, sense of what's happening in a, in a U.S. presidential election. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these states sort of pile up in a way that gets you there. And uh, this sort of novel approach, I thought, was really fun because you don't just have a really long bar that is really challenging to do uh, on today's like modern screen sizes. That sort of compression was really novel and, and brought us a lot of joy in seeing how that they put that together. That was- oh, that's interesting. So, so a little bit more of the more mobile devices and changes in screen sizes uh, sort of drove why that worked really well. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that was sort of the the inherent uh, reason why they did it. Sure. I haven't to anybody there about it, but right. I think the limitations of how we present our work these days uh, kind of forces you to be very creative, and that was, I thought, a, an elegant solution for yeah. that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, you mentioned cartograms, which, of course, as elections are always want to do in the data visualization field, spawns a whole conversation about maps. Um, yep. And this year perhaps more than, than the last few, there was sort of an explosion, all the different kinds of maps. Were there approaches that, or techniques that you particularly liked that, that you think could be useful going, you know, going forward, or are we still going to be in the Choropleth map world for, you know, the red, blue Choropleth map for the foreseeable future? Um, I still think that the general public uh, does not understand cartograms. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably, you know, that, that puts a lot of the onus on us as, as designers and, and graphics creators to do a better job of making them more accessible. Um, but ge- geography still matters quite a bit because it's how people find themselves and find the things that they, they know, you know, I'm yeah. from North Carolina, so I know immediately to look, um, at the small sliver of, uh, counties around Charlotte where I grew up. Um, and that sort of is, is very difficult to do, even for me, uh, someone who's looks at maps every day to do on a cartogram. Yeah. So I think there are, there is space for both. We're not anti cartogram. Uh, but I think that there's still a lot of value in a basic geographic map that shows election data. Uh, one way that sort of attempts to do something a little different than a choropleth map is the, uh, sort of change maps that we're now doing, which use arrows to show shift between mm-hmm. the candidates or between elections. Um, we did a piece uh, the night of, basically for the next morning, that analyzed the results and showed the sort of massive swing uh, toward Trump in the Midwest. And I thought that those arrow maps, the swing maps, kind of were a really strong depiction of what happened in the election, much more so than probably a cartogram would have given you mm-hmm. in that sense. Yeah. Um, I think that piece was called how Trump swung the electoral map, but Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's kind of a nice elegant approach that, you know, it doesn't show um, all of the results, uh, but it it gives you one slice of the story and really was, we think the main story and therefore was, I think an effective use of map mapping election results. Right. I mean, it's sort of interesting because you had mentioned sort of, we, whoever we is need, you know, need to sort of educate uh, people on how to read some of these alternate map types. And what's interesting is that when you go to the New York times website or the Washington post website or the guardian website, there are 
tile grid maps and there are tile grams and there's hex maps and, you know, there's all these other map types. And then when I watch the election coverage on the major networks, it's all just, you know, it's just your standard choropleth map colored red and blue. Yep. And I guess that's because that audience sort of is being shown the data as opposed to being allowed to sort of go in and explore it, which you can do when you're browsing the website. Yeah. I mean, it, perhaps if CNN, you know, had somebody on there explaining exactly what a choropleth was showing, it would be effective. But that's also an, a case where they're attempting to basically highlight one or two things in a very short amount of time. Yeah. And um, if you're having someone to sort of at first parse what they're looking at, figure out that it's actually a U.S. map and then like follow along through this like bulbous winding channel of red and blue. Like, right. <laughs> it, it doesn't I, I, I can see why they have not uh, really gone down that path just because it's a very challenging format uh, for anybody, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly true. I was watching a little bit of CNN when they were sort of zooming in and out of counties in the different states. And certainly if you're a resident of North Carolina or Florida, you recognize your county and and the neighboring counties and the shape of the state where you don't get that in these other representations. Yeah, that's right. And and we found, you know, a lot of times the most effective pieces that we have done – really resonate with people being able to put themselves in the graphic. Not always a map. Sometimes it's like a piece of data that we allow people to find themselves in. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we shouldn't lose sight of that fact that people are very attuned to where they fall within our work. And and that's that's something that we try to keep top of mind and I think applies a lot more to the geographic style of map. Right. Let's uh, broaden the scope a little bit and and talk about what happened uh, and not from a political standpoint, but um, a lot of the polls and the and the predictions were, were wrong, um, had, you know, um, the probability of Hillary Clinton winning by, by a far margin and, and those all turned turn out to be uh, wrong. Does that mean from your perspective that data science and or data journalism or the polling industry, I mean, is this sort of a day of reckoning now or is this just the outlier election and, you know, next time we'll return sort of back to back to normal. I don't think that there was something inherently wrong with the probability models. Nobody said that uh, with the exception of, I think, uh, Princeton Consortium, which maybe gave Clinton a 99 percent chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, nobody said that it was a 100 percent chance that Clinton would win, which right. means that there was always a chance that Trump would win. Mm-hmm. That's not saying that the polls uh, did not miss this. Uh, they, they certainly did. Uh, no poll gave, I think it was Wisconsin, gave Trump a lead uh, there, and he ended up winning that state. Yeah. Um, so that was that was pretty striking. Um, Nate Cohn did a pretty interesting piece that showed where the polling misses were uh, in 2016 and compared them to previous elections. Um, and we did see that the the polling misses in the Midwest were particularly striking, and they were and the the reason that the models and the probabilities were so far off of the polling is that the entire Midwest polling error was off in one direction. Mm-hmm. It was all much more Clinton and the error actually ended up swinging it towards Trump's side. So I think that was the underlying piece. The maybe thing that we could improve um, next time is visualization of probability could be improved. I think people tend to gravitate towards the big number and it's really easy to do that as a designer, just put a big number up there. And I think that that is maybe what is 
confusing a lot of people. I know when I show it to people that don't work here, people, just everyday people, my family, whatever, mm-hmm. um, they often say, oh, 85%, that, that seems like a lot higher than what the polls are saying. And then I have to explain that there's a difference between a polling average and forecast. And that's sort of where we lose people, I think. Yeah. Um, so I think that there are certainly lessons to be learned as far as sort of setting expectations uh, about what probability means, um, do a, doing a better job of visualizing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one thing that was really fun that we've done in the past for probability, in 2014, we did a Senate model and we had little spinners um, I think Bostock uh, maybe worked on that piece mm-hmm. uh, where each you basically clicked a button that said run the election and each state had little probability spinners that spun and showed you different slices of a pie that it would be Republican or Democrat. And every time you would get a different result based on that simulation. And I think those are the types of like techniques that have a w- real world analog, but help people to understand what we're actually doing when we say there's an 85% chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the Upshot did a postmortem where they kind of explained a lot of these things and they showed on the histogram of likely outcomes where uh, the Trump um, electoral vote total fell. And it was somewhere along the 10% range, uh, but it was certainly among the possible outcomes. While I don't think that the underlying math is wrong, I think our sort of way of setting expectations and, and sort of communicating that could probably be improved. Does that make sense? No, it, it does. And I wonder if it all ends up coming down to the fact that there is, or is usually a number that's highlighted. It's 85% and there might be a margin of an error. There's a confidence bound around that. But at the, but at the same time, it seems like everybody wants to be able to show their one number um, and that, and that number is easy for people to get a handle on and to understand, yeah. oh, the, you know, the upshot says 85 and 538 says 92 and there's that number, but you know, it comes down, I think again, to margin of error, which I don't, not sure a lot of people really fully understand to begin with. Mm-hmm. Probably the best visualization of these models is a histogram, but that's yeah. an incredibly unsexy and right. um, sort of not well understood, not common style of data viz for the general public, you know. So it's often buried on yeah. these pages. You know, 538 had one, we had one, but it was pretty far down. And um, so that that's that's sort of the challenge, I think, right. for if and when this we do this next time, like what is the right way to both make it understandable for everyone, but make sure that they actually understand what they're looking at. Right. Elections are also interesting and unique time for the country in general because everybody is well, not everybody, but many people are on the website at the same time looking at results live. Um, and so you're sort of feeding these live results, just like you were talking about with the jitter engage, you know, providing this information in real time, which I would guess offers a different type of opportunity to communicate those data and that uncertainty than a one-off story about something that may have some polling numbers in it. Yeah. I think while people may disagree that, you know, the upshot forecast before the election was, you know, right or wrong, Mm -hmm. the live forecasting that they did was absolutely amazing and actually, you know, kind of gave you a sense of how the outcome was going to be four or five hours before it actually turned out. I think a lot of people's frustration with how we 
visualize that was just with the fact that they didn't like how the election turned out. Um, <laughs> that might be, yeah. If it had, you know, been jittering towards Clinton all night, I don't think we'd be hearing anything right now. Right. Uh, oh. um, so I think uh, that was really f- fun to watch the sort of success of live estimating the, re- the election. Um, and we want to kind of continue to build on that and sort of the opportunities that that gives us for next time. Um, it's a long way off, so I don't know what that will be yet. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, let me just ask one more question. Um, how do these live results and live data visualization stories and dashboards, how does it work in terms of recording that information and sort of saving that information, not so much for posterity, but for, you know, learning for next time, do you save or or hold on to the results over time so that you can go back and review them? Or is it now I go to the website and it's a hundred percent for Donald Trump since he won. So is there a way that you are capturing what happened over the course of the night? Yeah. Um, we snapshot all the data that the AP sends us and, um, that way we can replay it. You know, when we test out new forms next time, the test data that we get isn't usually very real. We'll often see like really strange states going Republican or Democrat. And so um, having a real election that you can play back, especially for something like a live forecast, is really valuable because then you can test your assumptions about what your data is going to show versus like a sort of realistic data set. Um, So we we store all of that. Do you uh, mean with regard to like showing it publicly no, no, no. Just, just in terms of our- yeah, no. I, I meant just in terms of your testing and being able to sort of go back and 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 go through it. Yeah, that's I mean, really valuable, I think. Yeah, to, to do that. Great. Well, good luck in the next uh, few weeks. Hopefully, you'll get a rest. But uh, I, I'm going to assume you're going to be busy uh, for the next uh, through the inauguration day and for the next hundred days after that. So, uh, uh, Wilson, thanks a lot for coming on the show. It's been really interesting. Thanks, John. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in to this week's episode. Um, So until next time, this has been the Policy Viz podcast. Thanks for listening.